as you can tell, the theme is that sometimes in fighting a good fight of faith, we find ourselves having to wait on the Lord. And so we're going to talk about that for a few moments today. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31 says, Have you not known and have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Aren't you glad for that? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases their strength. I like that already. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they, they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I love that, don't you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your written word. I pray now that your spirit will direct my words so that as they go forth today, they will represent your heart to your people. I pray that they will hear with spiritual ears, that they will be able to grasp the word and put it to work in their lives so that they can be stronger and more anointed than they've ever been in their lives. And we give you praise for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to talk about this idea of waiting today. I'll just go ahead and go on record and tell you that I hate to wait. I think of all the spiritual battles that I find myself having to deal with, waiting is one of the ones that I hate the most. I, I just confess to you I'm a very impatient person. I will even confess to you that I, as I was a young pastor getting started there were times that I would run away from battles that I knew that I needed to fight, but it was because I was so impatient that I thought surely it could be fought better on, on a different battleground than I was on. And I find my, found myself trying to find fertile valleys to fight the battle in when I finally realized that fighting this battle has to be done in the heat of the battle and sometimes in places where you don't want to be doing things that you don't want to do, and waiting for periods of time that last much longer than you had anticipated that they would. Waiting. It is one of the most subtle battles that a Christian will fight when we find ourselves waiting. I know people that have a hard time keeping their mouth pure. They like to, to say things that they shouldn't say, but it's a much more obvious battle. There are other types of battles that I could mention to you today that are just more on the surface. You, can, you, can, you are more aware of having to fight that battle because it, it is so obvious in your life. But waiting is one of those subtle things that often lies below the surface. And sometimes you don't even know that the reason that you're frustrated is because you're still in that valley of wondering, when is God going to do what God said He would do? We see in Scripture that many times the writers of Scripture had the same frustration that we do in our lives. Notice Psalm chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, it says, "'Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint.'" 
Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? In Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have this sorrow in my heart? In Psalm chapter 89, verse 46, it says, How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2 says, How long, Lord, must I call for help but you do not listen to me. Look at your neighbor and say, how long? How long? Have you ever been in a place in your life when you were asking yourself this question on a regular basis? How long, Lord, until I see the manifestation of your promise in my life? How long until I see healing in my body? How long until I see my finances restored? How long until I see my marriage on firmer grounds? How long will, these, will it be before these relationships are restored? How long, Father, until I find some stability in my journey? How long, how long, how long, how long? Every now and then I, I ask Donna, I said, are we going to eat tonight? Yes, I'm cooking now. And I'll say, how long? <clears throat> That's a minor thing. I'm going to get my grits. I'm going to get my bacon. I'm going to get my eggs. I'm going to get my pork. I'm going to get whatever it is that she's fixing. I just have to learn to uh, pace myself and wait until the goodies arrive. If I'm not careful, if I just keep asking her how long, how long, how long, she'll say, it just depends on how long it takes you to get down to McDonald's and back. That, that's how long, how long, how long. But we find ourselves asking these questions, how long, and we're not by ourselves. Again, you can go from cover to cover in Scripture and you'll find individuals who are constantly asking this question, how long, God, until this, and how long until that, and why must I continue to wait? My question to you today is, is that you, have you ever found yourself in a season of life when you were waiting in that manner? Waiting. <clears throat> so today I want to talk to you about this idea of waiting, and I think there are four things that you need to understand when you're in this season of waiting. And I have to understand these and put these to practice in my life as well. And the first thing is this. Number one, we must understand that waiting identifies a tension between what is now and what will be then. Let me say it again. Waiting identifies a tension between now and then. Now, the key word here is this word tension. Now, you know what I'm talking about when I say tension. It, 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 it's a pulling, if you will, in our mind and in our, in our bodies, in our soul, in our spirit. This tension of what we are seeing now in our lives, but what God has promised for the future. What God has promised that will break this situation in our lives. Oh, I rejoiced so this morning when I got up. I, 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 you know, I always try to be as quiet as I can in the house because I, I, I don't want to wake Donna. And I, I get up, I make my coffee, and I go out on the porch. And, and, and uh, since we've had this conversation in recent weeks about me watching the weather all the time, 
I've learned that I can watch WDRB on the free app on my phone, and so I don't even turn the TV on in anymore in the mornings. I go out, and this morning their headline was something like this. Today is going to be the day that the heat wave is broken. Can you shout and say amen to that? They said, oh yeah, it's going to come a little earlier than we had anticipated. It was already cool on my porch this morning. And the wind was blowing and I'm just sitting there having church on my front porch. Thank you, God. I don't have to ask you how long, how long, how long is this heat wave going to last in Louisville? It's being broken. And some of us are like that in our lives. We're waiting for that moment when it breaks in our lives. And we want to see the difference between what is now and what soon will be. And so we're asking ourselves about this. Now, I'm reminded in, in Scripture of this man by Thomas. We like to refer to him as Doubting Thomas. And I, and I guess that's okay. If I were him, I wouldn't appreciate that too much. You know, we've been hearing a lot that the things that you do don't define who you are, but there's not a whole lot of truth to that sometimes because Thomas was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was a disciple. He was a great man of faith, but he had one moment in his life where he doubted, and now ever since he's been known as Doubting Thomas. But you know the story. Jesus has been crucified. He laid in the grave for, for three days and then he was resurrected and he began then moving among people that he would know and that would know him and letting them know that, hey, I'm alive. I'm resurrected. I, I'm not dead any longer. What I told you would happen is true. In three days, this temple was built back up. I'm alive now. He could walk through walls and walk into where people were and be in their presence instantaneously. And so people started telling uh, uh, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And you know the story. He was waiting because he had not seen the manifestation of the risen Christ. And so he started saying things like this, I cannot believe until I see him for myself. I cannot believe until I touch him for myself. I simply cannot believe until he manifests himself in my presence. And I love the story because Jesus comes to Thomas and he shows up and there's Thomas and there's Jesus and now right in front of him is the manifestation of the very thing that he was waiting on. And Jesus says to him, he says, take your hand and touch my hand and put it in the nail print. Take your hand and put it in my side where I was pierced. And immediately Thomas realized that what I've been waiting on and what I believed for has, has come to, to pass. It is true. It is manifested right before my very eyes. And he fell upon his knees before Jesus and he believed there in that moment. And I love what Jesus said. He said, Thomas, he said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So the message to us today is, is that you still have to believe even when you have not yet seen the manifestation of what God has said that He would do in your life. Some of you are waiting today. Some of you are living in that tension between what you see with your eyes and what you believe with your spirit is going to take place. And my message to you today is keep holding on and keep believing and keep your faith and don't give up and know that whatever 
whatever God promised, uh, He will do in His timing. You just simply must wait. And then secondly, we have to understand that waiting clarifies our priorities. Listen, when, when I find myself waiting on God, my mind starts to wonder. And I start thinking things like this. Well, maybe I misheard the promise of God. Maybe I didn't hear what it was that He said to me, and, or maybe I didn't hear it properly. Or, or maybe it just isn't that way. And so then we tend to take matters into our own hands. And we start living according to what we think should be. And instead of holding tight to the promise of God, we start doing things that we feel would be appropriate in this moment. I wish you could have heard Stephanie's testimony this past Wednesday night. She was talking about a season in her life when she was waiting on the promise of God. There had been prophecies upon her life about childbearing and, and, and giving birth, and yet it was not being manifested in her life the way that she thought it should be. And for a period of time, she said, by her own admission, I began trying to do things that I thought would help God in this process. And isn't it true that we do that? We say, God, I, I can see that you're stumbling a bit here. I, I see that you're having a hard time making this happen, so I'm going to see if I can't help you a little bit. And so I will declare this, and I will do that, and, and, and I, will, I will make this happen and that happen, and, and together you and I will just make this thing come to pass. Now let me tell you something right now. God does not need your help. The only thing that God needs for you to do is trust Him and believe Him and take Him at His word. And if you are in a season of waiting, then wait upon the Lord and let Him bring to pass all that He has in store for you. Because otherwise, you'll get things all messed up. So we have to believe in the Lord. See, we start doing things that are our priority. When, when Donna and I started having a family, we kind of talked about timing. And it was like, well, we'd like to have one. And, and, and then this amount of time, we'd like to have a second one and, and, and that kind of thing. And then we'll, we'll see about the third one and, you know, just kind of see if we want to do that or not. And, and, and so we kind of entered into that process thinking, you know, we'll do this at this time, we'll have this at that time, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I can tell you that God couldn't care less about our plans and our timing. God does what He wants to do in the timing that He decides that it will be best. So we begin to make things happen. So I'm going to make things happen. Let me just tell you something about this church. I promise you that if we wanted to, we could fill this church up every week by doing things to draw crowds. It's not hard to draw a crowd in this environment of the church. All you got to do is invite the right people, pay the right amount of money to get them to come in. I guarantee you that I could invite this one and that one and this one, and I could get them here. It wouldn't be hard to do. We could get them here. And let me tell you, our parking lot would not be large enough to contain all the cars that we would have. We wouldn't have enough chairs in the building to have everybody who would come if we invited this one, this one, and this one. But crowds do not make a church. 
A church is a group of people who are huddled around and working toward the vision that God has for them to fulfill. What God has called us to do may be very different than Highview and and Solid Rock and Harvest Church and the Church of Christ and Highview Baptist and Highview Church of God and all of the churches around the corners from us that we could name off. We all have a vision of God that God is asking us to do. And if we're not faithful to that and we get into this mindset of church growth for the sake of church growth, then we may be inviting problems in that we don't need to deal with that will keep us from fulfilling what God wants us to do. And so, I, you know, when people start coming in here and telling me all that they're going to do for me in the church, it, it just, it, 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 I wouldn't say it scares me. But, but it makes me kind of want to back up just a little bit because I believe that people ought to show the fruit of their relationship with the Lord. I told you about the one lady that called me and she said, God told me to come preach at your church. And I said, that's fine with me. As soon as God tells me, I'll let you come. But until God tells me, you're not coming. Oh, mister, too big for his britches. That's right. I'm, I'm too big for my britches. As the shepherd of the flock, I have a responsibility to, to lead them and direct them in the path that we should go. And I'm not listening to your voice or anybody else's that telling me what God's saying until I hear it myself. Sometimes we got to hear what God is saying for ourselves or we'll start making things happen and pushing our own agenda rather than saying, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, I'll do. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul. He's having a rough time. I mean, he's at the end of his ministry. He's been in prison. He's been beaten. He has been shipwrecked. He has had every kind of nonsense happen to him that is possible. And he said, you know what? He said, if it were just up to me, he said, I would go on and go to heaven right now. He said, I would. I'd just go now. He said, in fact, I can't make up my mind what it is that I would prefer to do, whether or not to stay or to go. Now, let me just tell you, there's some crazy theologians that said that Paul was considering suicide, that he had come to a place where he just couldn't take it anymore, and he decided, I'd rather just take my life and go and be gone from this place than to stay. He was not considering suicide. This was a man of great faith that believed that my life is belongs to Jesus. For me to live is Christ. If I die, it is gain, because to be absent from this body will be present with the Lord. And so there are days that I just feel like saying, Lord, whenever you want to come get me, I'm ready. If you want to get up alone today, just put my name on the list, because to be in your presence would be the most wonderful and the greatest thing that I could ever experience in this life and for eternity. I don't know if I'm going to stay or not. I don't know what God's going to do. He said, but I do know this. He said, if I stay, it won't be for me. It'll be for you. Because the longer I stay, the more you'll be edified. The longer I preach, the more you will be uplifted. The smarter you'll get in the things of the Spirit of God. So for me, I'd just soon go ahead and go to heaven and be with Jesus. But for you, it is better that I stay. 
I'm kind of like Paul. I don't know what my life will look like. I don't know how much, how much longer that I have. I'm honest with you when I say I'm at a place in my life where heaven does not sound like such a bad deal to me. I mean, when you see all that's going on in this world, there are times that my spirit cries out, even so, Lord, come quickly. It wouldn't bother me at all to be in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> but if he doesn't take me, and if I don't leave by way of the rapture today, then I'm still here, and I'm going to be working, and I'm going to be planting, and I'm going to be sowing seed, and I'm going to be doing everything that I can uh, to encourage you and to edify you and to build up the kingdom of God and see it expand before my very eyes. And you should be doing the same thing. He said, I don't know if I'm going to stay or if I'm going to go. He said, I'll probably end up staying because I know that God knows that He needs people like me to build you up and to strengthen you and encourage you in the faith. Clarifies our priorities. Thirdly, waiting increases our level of maturity. Man, we grow when we're waiting. You know what I've discovered? I don't grow much when I've got blessings surrounding me. I, I don't... I don't utilize my faith much when all is going well. You say, well then are you saying you don't ever want to be blessed? No, I'm blessed. Coming in and going out, I'm blessed. Because that's what the Bible says about me. I'm blessed coming in and going out. Donna put a big thing on, on the wall in our house. It says you're blessed coming in and going out. Man, I come in and go out, come in and go out all the time just so I can be blessed. We're blessed. Jesus came so that we could have abundant life. We are blessed. Amen? But when we are experiencing all the blessings of God, we don't find ourselves always falling on our faces before Him in deep, hurtful prayer, if you will. Instead, we're celebrating the good things of God. I mean, we're celebrating goodness. We're celebrating graciousness. We're celebrating all those things. I'm not necessarily growing in my faith as much as I'm expressing my appreciation for God having done what God would say He would do. But you know what I've discovered about life? It just is a blessing here and a valley there. And a mountaintop here and a valley there. And a turn in the road there and a straight path there. And I've lived my whole life saying to God, I'm walking with you and wherever you go, I'm going. And if I have to turn, I'll turn. And if I go straight, I'll go straight. And if I go up, I'll go up. And if I go down, I'll go down. <clears throat> but I have made up my mind, uh, wherever you lead me, I will follow. It increases our level of maturity. I can tell you who, who the spiritually immature people are. It's, it's really not that hard to understand. It's because they're up and down and in and out and all over the place. And you don't ever hear them saying, but I'm trusting the Lord. I'm walking with Him. I'm on this journey with Him. It may not look like it right now, but I don't have my eyes fixed on my circumstances I have my eyes fixed upon my blessing that's going to come. It may not be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be next year. But I'm telling you, God has promised. And if God has promised, I'm going to stand in the promises of God. 
I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to be in and out and and up and down. I'm going to set my path upon the blessings of God and I'm going with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9-12 through 12 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. He's talking about, hey, I'm an adult. I need to start acting acting like an adult. There was a time I was a child, and I did childish things, but I'm not a child anymore. You ever seen a baby taking a bottle? How cute it is. It's cute, isn't it? It's really cute. Until you have to split the mustache to get the bottle in the mouth. It's not cute anymore then. Because they're old enough, they ought to be beyond milk. They ought to be eating the the meat of the Word of God. But they've never grown spiritually, and so they're, they're still sucking milk instead of eating meat. Listen, there are people in this house today, I'm going to say this as nicely as I know how to say, but you need to get off the bottle and stop sucking milk, and you need to get you some meat of the Word of God and take it into your spirit and say, I am going to grow, and I'm going to be nurtured by the meat of God's Word. Somebody say amen in the house today. Now you can see this tension being played out in these passages of Scripture. He said, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. When is that? That's now. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When is that? That's then. He's talking about the now. He's talking about the then. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When was that? It was, it, it was then. And then he said, but I grew up and became a man. And I gave up childish ways. When is that? That's now. I'm not a child anymore. I'm living in the now of my promise. I gave up childish ways. Listen, for now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. What's he saying? Is I don't understand everything that I need to understand about who I am and what I will be. I'm looking in a mirror. I'm guessing. It's dim. It's not bright enough for me to see everything. How many of you uh, tried? Now, let's be honest. How many of you tried the new app on Facebook this week? And it, and, it, and it makes you look old. You remember that? It's called Face App. It makes you look old. It, it'll put beards on you. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. If you're a female and you want a beard, you can have one by going to Face App. If, if you've always wondered what you would look like to have no hair, you can take all the hair off your head. I'm telling you, I look pretty sexy as a bald, a bald man. I really do. I had several of you say, man, you look younger than you did before. I don't know. 
you know, we, we often wonder what would things look like if it was different? We're looking in the mirror at what we see, but we wonder what is. Somebody put on there a picture of a tombstone. And they said, I put my picture on FaceApp so that I could see what I would look like 40 years from now. And there's this tombstone in the graveyard. And so I'm 60 years old, so I might have one of those tombstones 40 years from now. I don't know. But, you know, the, the point is, is that we're constantly wondering about things. Well, if it were different, if it looked different, then, then maybe I would feel different about this. And, and that's what he's saying. He's saying we look in the mirror dimly, but then we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. We will be there face to face. We will know things that we do not know now. He said, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. Aren't you glad that there's a day that we're going to know everything that there is to know? I'll take it a step further. I believe that we're constantly growing in the revelation of God. I don't have all the revelation that I will have of Him even while I am yet alive. I told you a few weeks ago, I, I get amused by people who always want to go back to the way things used to be. I want to go back to the way it was. I want to go back to the way the church was. I want to go back to the music of the church. I want to go back to the style of preaching. I want to, by the way, how many of you think I look like a 1980s preacher today? Can I see your hands? I had several people tell me before church, they said, you know, the shirt, the tie, the slacks, all it looks like you came right out of the 1980s. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I take it for good. I'll take it however I want to take it. I just, I just want things the way that it used to be. I, just, I don't. Because in the last 20, 25 years of my journey with Jesus, I have learned things about Him that I had, would not have known if I continued living in that age. I am happy with where I am today because the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed Himself to me in ways that I did not know. And I'm telling you today, as long as I live every day of my life, He's going to reveal Himself even more fully than I know Him now. So I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that He is revealing Himself. Tomorrow, I'll know more than I knew today. The day after that, I'll know more than I do today. The day after that, I'll know more than I do today. Because His revelation is there and is progressively coming to us by the Spirit of the living God within us. So for those of you who need to grow up, and for those who want to grow up, I declare to you today, grow up and let God reveal Himself to you through His Word and by His Spirit. Amen. And then finally this morning. Waiting, and I apologize for the bulletin today. There are apostrophes, apostrophes where they shouldn't be and all that. Let me just tell you that I hate autocorrect. Some of you don't even know what that is. But for those of you who do, it just it makes me lose my sanctification sometimes. But just forget the apostrophes and where they are and all that kind of stuff. It, it'll be all right. It really will. Nobody's going to die and go to hell over it. I promise you. Number four, waiting lets praise do its best work. Waiting lets praise do its best work. 
Now, we're Pentecostal, and I love to act Pentecostal. I love to celebrate. I love to clap my hands. I love to rejoice. I love to dance in the Spirit. I'm not very good at it. I already told you I can't, I can't chase Joyce down. She's faster than I am. I, 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 I can't jump up and down anymore. My, my knees aren't as springy as they used to be. I, I really have to be in the Spirit, you know, if I'm going to do that kind of thing. I, I've, I've seen people run on the tops of the pews. You don't see it much anymore. I'm kind of glad for that. The insurance companies don't like that very much. I've seen people fall out on the floor, and I'm okay with that. If you, if you need to get down there, go ahead. We'll pick you up when you're done. It, it's not that big of a deal. We'll probably lay a rag over you if, if you need to. You say, why don't you do that? I never understood why people lay rags over people who lay on the floor. Because in the old days, if the knee was showing when they were on the floor, it was vulgar. And so if the knee was showing, they had to put a rag over them so that you couldn't see the knee. Now, I know some of you, I just confused the fire out of you. It'll be all right. You'll be okay. If you need some help with that, come see me later, and I'll try to help you and guide you through that. I mean, I, they used to call us holy rollers for a reason. We used to jump down on the floor and roll around. Say, did you do that, Pastor? Sure did. It's the kind of church I was raised in. I didn't know any different. I just worshiped the way that I saw and the way that I saw other people worship. And I, I, I just did that because that, was, that came out of my training. It came out of my tradition. I've gotten older now and I've realized that while I'm not going to condemn anybody who feels like they want to worship that way because our worship is very personal and it can look very different from person to person to person. But I've just discovered that there are deeper ways to worship God than just the outside flesh that we see manifested at times. Sometimes our spirit and our, and our soul is worshiping at a deeper level than our body is. And so we have to learn that my praise to do the best work is all of me. It will come out of my body. You say, well, are you saying that we shouldn't worship with exuberance and we shouldn't worship being loud? And No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, Scripture says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. In the Old Testament, we see the ladies as they get the tambourines. Don't tell Jane. She's on vacation this week. Don't tell her that I preach about tambourines. They get the tambourines and they begin to dance a holy dance before the Lord, we see it all through Scripture where the body celebrates the goodness of God. The soul celebrates the goodness of God. We're happy. We're joyful. Instead of down and out and discouraged and frustrated and all the time talking about how bad life is and I'm so exhausted and I'm so tired and, and, and you know, and our soul is just there taking control. We've got to worship with our soul by saying, I may not feel like it, but I'm taking control of my soul and I'm going to speak words that will edify and I'm going to speak words that will encourage and lift up and be filled with joy and happiness and expectation. I'm going to let my soul express worship. 
and my spirit is going to worship however God directs me to worship. I'm going to worship Him in spirit and in truth. But sometimes praise is best expressed when we make a decision and we live out a commitment to what God has called us to. Think about this. Go ahead and help me if, if you will quit. Abraham waited 25 years before Sarah gave birth to a child after God had promised that he'd be the father of many nations. He did what? He waited for 25 years. Joseph lived for 13 years in a season of betrayal and false imprisonment and abandonment before assuming the leadership of Egypt. Thirteen years waiting on the manifestation of God. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a desert taking care of sheep before God came to them, came to him and set him free to deliver the children of Israel. He waited. He waited. He waited. David spent 14 years running for his life before he actually sat on the throne as the king of Israel. 14 years. And Jesus himself lived 33 and a half years approximately, they say. 30 years. He was not in active ministry. He was living his life in the Spirit of God. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit Many years but baptized, doing the things of God. He said one time, you couldn't find me because I was about my father's business. I was doing what I was sent to do. But when he turned 30 years old, he started actively manifesting the fullness of his ministry. So he waited for 30 years. He waited. He waited. He waited. But we all know their testimony. And we're all encouraged by their faithfulness. Because it was their faithfulness. It was their character. It was their integrity that has lasted all these years. You don't hear a whole lot about their physical manifestations of worship other than David that one time you remember when he cast off the king's clothing and he worshipped before the Lord and his wife said you've made a fool of yourself today old king and he worshipped anyway when I was a kid growing up and I've already you know, alluded to it a little bit I was, I was just raised in that old time traditional way and I don't want you to think that I that I have negative feelings about any of that. I'm thankful for the way that I was raised. I really am. I, I knew people in those days that were more committed to the ways of the Lord than many people are today. If they had to dress a certain way, or if they had to groom themselves in a particular way, they did it not because the church told them to do it. They did it because they thought that it was what God expected of them in terms of outward appearance. And they dress that way every day. And they live that way every day. And I know men and women both who are married 
But when they got saved and gave their heart to Jesus Christ, they removed their wedding bands and would not wear them any longer because they believed somehow that God required them to do that. I'm putting mine back on. I don't want anybody to think I'm eligible. But they were committed. They didn't care how they looked to the world. They didn't care if people came and made fun. I'd invite my friends from school to Pentecostal church and by the time they got there, I was already embarrassed that they were there because of the way we worshiped. We sang until the power came down. Let me tell you, church, we didn't sing once or twice. We sang until the power came down. Now, I, you know, I have some theological thinking about all that. I really do. But let me tell you, it wasn't because of a lack of desire for the presence of God and the power of God. They did what they felt like they needed to do to have the manifestation of the Spirit of God in their lives. I can remember watching my mom and dad. They didn't worship physically before the Lord. My dad played the old six-string guitar. He had an old Martin, Brother Dave. The thing was worth a lot of money. He had it for a lot of years, and he'd play that thing and he can get to rocking and a rolling in the spirit, of course. He can get to going back and forth. And my dad, when he sang, I don't know why it was, but but his nostrils would start flaring. And they'd start flaring in, in rhythm with the music. And he'd just get to going and get to going and get to going. And before long, he'd unstrap that guitar and set it off to the side and take off running down the right side or the left side. And then my mom, you know, she was not Liberace. But she could play the piano, play at it anyway. She'd get moved upon by the Spirit of God and play like I didn't even know that she could play. She played the piano. She played the organ. She played the, the, what's that thing, right there, the accordion. She'd play the accordion and she'd get that thing going back and forth. Heard her high heels and her pantyhose and, 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 and just going to town. She'd get to up and down in her dress flopping around. They always tried to be careful that the, fly, the flop didn't rise above the knee because the men would sin then because they saw a knee. I mean, I knew I, they, they knew how to have church. There's a lady, she's a missionary today. She was a young lady. She'd come up and sing in a choir. We didn't have people who sang in worship teams and things. They'd come to church, and the music leader would just get up and say, if, if you want to sing today, come on, sing. Come on. And everybody get up, and they'd come up to the choir, and they'd start singing. She always got on the front row, and she had that wedding ring on. She was one of those rebels. She's going to wear her wedding band. I don't care what anybody thinks. But she loved Jesus, and she'd start singing. She'd start singing things like, I leave it all behind some happy day. On wings of love, I'll fly away. Or my, one of my favorite was, Well, I just can't praise him enough. I just can't thank him enough. I just can't tell the Lord how much he means to me. And then the men would go, He put my feet on the. Here we go. Kathy getting the spirit. She'd start knocking that ring on that, that pew up in the choir, and she'd see, boy, she'd get going like that. And we'd sing that chorus 30 times at least. 
sometimes 40 before the Spirit was released to do what He came to do. And boy, we had that. And the tambourines were going. And the bottle shakers were going. And the bass guitars. And the guitars. And the organ. And the piano. And we'd shout. And then there was a little old lady. Uh, she'd get up front and she'd do the helicopter. And she'd start going around and up and down and up and down. And her dress would start flying around. And there'd be another little lady around beside her trying to keep her dress down so that we couldn't see her slip. But man, we were having church. We were flat out having church. How many of you remember those days? I got to tell you, there's just enough of it still in me that I'd like to see it one more time. I'd like to see the power of God move upon us so strong that we could not control our worship, but we begin to praise Him with an unbelievable, indescribable worship. But here's the point I'm trying to make. I remember all that. I'm thankful for all that. I'm grateful for the way that I was raised. But the thing that most impressed me about my mom and dad was not the outward manifestation of their worship, but it was the inner commitment of their heart. And what I'm trying to tell you today is is that worship is oftentimes best displayed when our heart is worshiping Him through commitment to His will. When we're just waiting on Him. God, I don't know when it'll happen. I don't know what it will look like. I don't know why I'm having to go through what I'm going through. How long, oh Lord? How long, oh Lord, until you hear my prayer? How long, oh Lord? How long? How long? Listen, God's not intimidated by your question. He's not angry with you for asking how long. The only thing He wants you to say and the only thing He wants to hear you say and see you do is say, no matter how long, I will worship. No matter how hard I stand strong in your spirit. No matter how difficult I will keep walking in the blessings that you have for me. I will not give up, but I will wait upon you. No matter how long. Will you stand with me?